We are uh, back in the book of Haggai for the last time. Not the last time ever, but the last time. <laughs> yeah, the last time for this series. Um, maybe we'll go back and do it again sometime. But uh, we are in the book of Haggai and the second chapter. In the second chapter, and we've. I'm going, to take, I'm going to give a little recap uh, as, we, as we close out, but um, <clears throat> there's a message here just in these uh, final four verses. Haggai chapter 2, verse, beginning at verse 20. Haggai chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. Uh, remember, we've been called to consider our ways. Uh, Haggai 2, verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of kingdoms of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. On that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for your display of power and sovereignty in your scripture. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your ultimate right to choose as you would. As you would. Um, we thank you uh, now for a time to hear your word and uh, for all that are gathered here, Lord, and every household represented here, we pray uh, that your blessings be upon them. We ask, Lord, for a fresh anointing to preach and anointing to receive your word. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you're my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> The word of the Lord came a second time. Um, there's, a, there's a gospel song that came out, I think it was back in 1995, uh, by the late Pastor Daryl Coley. I don't know if anybody ever heard of Pastor Daryl Coley. It, the song was called Sovereign. It was called Sovereign. And uh, Daryl Coley, he actually recorded with the Wilmington Chester Mass Choir. So there's a connection, right? But the song was called Sovereign. And besides the musicality of the song uh, and pastors, Pastor Coley's gifted vocal ability, uh, the simple lyrics made a powerful statement to me. That's one of the reasons why I love the song. Simple lyrics. The first verse repeated the word sovereign two times, slowly. Then it expanded, saying, the Lord, my God, is sovereign. Then it went on to say, he can do whatever 
he wants to do. It repeats. He can do whatever he wants to do when he wants to and how he wants to because he's sovereign. And then it closes. God is God. I I like that description of, of God's sovereignty uh, we, we, there's lots of definitions of sovereignty that, that bounce around. It, it's said to be, if you look it up, it might say that it's it, it, uh, to be the full right and power of a governing body over itself without any inf- interference from outside sources or bodies. Um, Cambridge Dictionary calls it the power or authority to rule. excuse me, sovereignty. Um, Speaking of God, as it applied to God, the uh, Eastern Bible Dictionary says it calls it his absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. We we won't get into all of the theological dimensions of God's sovereignty, but for today we'll, we'll use the working idea of the Lord's sovereignty as this. We'll look at it this way. Uh, The absolute authority and power to bring something to an expected and desired end. The absolute authority and power to bring something to an expected and desired end. That's that's sovereign. Um, I I don't know that anyone carries that Anyone carries that but the Lord. Um, we can want things to work out a certain way. <clears throat> we can work for them to, to, to work out a certain way. But we can't absolutely say things are going to work and come out the way we want them to come out all the time. He's sovereign. As we set out to carry out the things that God has called us to it is it's wise and it's encouraging to consider the Lord's sovereignty. It's, it's encouraging. <clears throat> there, there's an idea that, that floats through this text. And that's by sovereign grace, the Lord chooses people to participate in his purpose. By sovereign grace, the Lord chooses people to participate in his purpose. He brings people into his, his things, his, his stuff. Remember, if, if he's sovereign, he doesn't need, he really doesn't need any inputs, right? But he, he chooses, and it's a, it's a grace. Let's recap a little bit, um, because I don't know if anybody's been here for all five. Um, see, <laughs> just, let's, let's just recap a little bit on, on about Haggai. Um, so what, what, What's the backdrop? The scene, after years of captivity in Babylon, a remnant of the the Lord's people from Judah had been allowed to return home. They had been back in the land for 18 years, but here in Haggai, for the last four months, the Lord has been sending word to them, sending words of correction and encouragement to this group and to their leaders. The Lord spoke to them through his prophet Haggai. Uh, The assignment the Lord called them to was the building of his temple called the house of the Lord. 
uh, that represented his presence among his people. He instructed them to consider their ways, uh, to search themselves deeply, thinking about the results of making their own lives uh, priority over obedience and attention to the Lord's will, which they had been doing, and it was an epic failure. The Lord gives words of empowerment through his prophet Haggai that moved the people past their failure to repentance, that stirred their spirits to begin and continue the work and pointed them toward a promise of future glory. This has all been transpiring in the messages that Haggai has been sharing uh, with the people. Through grace, the Lord chooses now to allow uh, the work of the people to be acceptable to him, even though the people were unclean uh, in the sight of the Lord. Uh, He's now allowing their work to be acceptable to him. Here, he reveals one last note of that grace toward their governor, Zerubbabel. His sovereignty is on display as he describes his ability to choose to bring some down from their powerful purchase and to raise and set others up in a lasting prepared position. He's going to show that he can do what he wants to do. Uh, Here, look, verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down. Everyone by the sword of his brother. Now, Haggai had already finished delivering a message to the priest earlier this same day. Um, So this is like the second service. Uh, He he had made a declaration to them and to the people that uh, this day the Lord was declaring would mark a beginning uh, of, of the Lord once again blessing them that this day was going to be a turning point for them, uh, for this people. Now the Lord has one more message on this 18th day of December, according to our calendar, uh, for Haggai. Uh, He he has one more message for him to deliver. And and this time, he wants him to give this message. uh, It's addressed directly to Zerubbabel, the governor. Zerubbabel, the governor. The text doesn't give us the full occasion for the word that's being shared. Um, But we know in our own lives that uh, any leader needs encouragement. Um, uh, Perhaps as leader of the people surrounded by hostile peoples, Zerubbabel needed some reassurance, um, confirmation that the people would be safe and that They would complete the work that God had given to them. Maybe he was uh, afraid that uh, that small group of Judah uh, uh, wouldn't be able to stand if their neighbors started to push in on them. Uh, It doesn't doesn't say, but 
uh, whatever it was, Zerubbabel needed a word from the Lord. Whatever was going on in the heart of Zerubbabel, the Lord reminds him of his sovereignty to take kingdoms down. Using the same language that he used in verse 6, the Lord says he will shake the heaven and earth. This describes a, a, a future event where his power is going to be displayed and experienced on a wide scale, a, 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 a universal kind of scale, the heaven and the earth. Uh, um, that, that's to encompass all things. Um, he, he shook before the mountain when he came and gave the commandments to the people on Mount Sinai. The, the mountain trembled. Um, but now nations will experience the shaking uh, the upheaval, uh, he's going to break some things loose. Uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, they, they discussed this shaking that was going to happen again, uh, that it was going to happen once more, and that it, it, it was going to be uh, a shaking loose of everything that was not attached to God. <sighs> Using, uh, uh, by destroying and overthrowing thrones and strength, uh, that he said he would destroy and overthrow the thrones and strength. The Lord exercises power over the rulers and the military of of those kingdoms that he's referring to. So both the rulers are going to be overthrown and their military. Uh, Nothing will be left of that that, uh, nation's influence. The, the, the use of that word overthrow, it describes the kind of destruction that the Lord had poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a complete destruction when he says he's going to overthrow. And, and then the destruction of chariot and horses and riders, them going down. It, it, as, as they were hearing this message from Haggai, when Zerubbabel heard this word from Haggai, it would have reminded him of what happened to Pharaoh's army when they tried to follow the people through the Red Sea, when they were being liberated from Egypt. I'm sure it would have encouraged Zerubbabel that God was about to do a powerful thing. Um, but, but he gives even more detail. He describes how he's going to cause it to happen. It won't be this time the drowning of the Red Sea. He's going to throw uh, these kingdoms into confusion, and, and they'll end up turning on themselves a, a type of national civil war. And in the middle of all of the confusion and fear, they, they'll, they'll kill themselves. God's going to cause this to happen. Through this message, uh, uh, even though this message was to encourage Zerubbabel, it looks past that day, that December 18th, 520 B.C. It looks beyond that to a a future point where the Lord would permanently remove kingdoms composed of any that refused to acknowledge his sovereignty. Uh, It was looking forward to a day, the, the future fulfillment of this prophecy from Haggai, it may may point to the end times or the time of the Lord Jesus' second coming. Uh, Sometimes I said before that, you know, the prophets, uh, God would show the prophets what was going to happen, but he wouldn't always show them when it was going to happen. 
Uh, and sometimes they would see near and sometimes they would see far, but uh, it, it's a look down through time of what God was going to do. And, and, and the future fulfillment may have pointed to end times, but for Zerubbabel and Judah, it speaks to them of a certain type of security in the present day. Uh, that The word they receive gives them a comfort for today. Uh, God may say, I'm going to do something, but because he's the Lord, because he's sovereign, it, it can bring you comfort now. Five times in these verses, the Lord, the Lord is described as acting and carrying out exactly what he desires to carry out. He asks no questions and he needs no counsel from anyone uh, but because he's sovereign. He says, I will, I will, I will. And just like the Lord is sovereign in taking down godless kingdoms, he's also sovereign in who he chooses to set up and secure. This is good. Uh, On that that day, in verse 23, he says, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. We remember, uh, well, we should remember from Previous times in Haggai, when that Lord of hosts, that title was used, it's it's referring to the Lord uh, in in his proper name, Yahweh, his covenant name with his people, Yahweh of armies, of angel armies, of the heavenly host. He is in charge of the most powerful army. So when he, he says it, it's almost as if he's saying, I'm almighty. Yahweh Almighty is, is giving you this word. Although it's Haggai that's physically speaking to Zerubbabel, this message that's being shared is so significant that three times in this one verse, three times he identifies and confirms the source of the word is directly from the Lord. What is being said is the Lord's declaration. It carries the weight of his sovereignty, the weight of his power, his authority. Uh, uh, Haggai makes it clear. The Lord is speaking. He says that he will take and he will make Zerubbabel. He will take and make Zerubbabel. Uh, If you say that a few times, it sounds like a good thing. I want the Lord to take and make me something, but you know it's going to cost something, amen? But we can still pray like that, if you dare. He says he'll take and he'll make Zerubbabel. First, he identifies Zerubbabel as his servant. You know, no word that, that God uses when he's speaking, it, no title, anything that, that the Lord uses, you can't take it for granted. Even in him simply calling Zerubbabel my servant, he connects him to others that he has identified as his servant in the past. Uh, The Lord doesn't just throw it around lightly. Um, The Lord's servant is always one that's called to carry out a special task assigned by him, his servant. And in Numbers 12, 
in verse 7, we hear the Lord call Moses, my servant. And we know the work that he had called Moses to, uh, setting his people free from Egypt. Uh, 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 he called him his servant, uh, and, he, and he says that he was faithful in all his house. My servant Moses does anything I need him to do. Then, then speaking of, of David, King David, and uh, two places, but many more than that, but just two places, in, in 1 Kings 11 and 34, and in Ezekiel 34 and 23, once he, he was speaking in the past tense, and then the next time uh, uh, he was speaking in the future as an ideal future figure, uh, calling David, holding David up as his servant. The Lord puts him out in front of the people in his word as his servant. Again, with the future in mind, and a future view, the Lord describes the character and work of another servant, uh, uh, the character and work of the Messiah, uh, and, and he calls him my servant. In Isaiah, uh, uh, in 42.11, in 52.13, in 53.11, this is being recorded, so if you don't catch all of those, you can, because I know you want to read it to make sure that I'm telling the truth. Amen. Uh, he calls the Messiah my servant. Not only is Zerubbabel in good company as the Lord's servant, he is connected to a, a special calling. The Lord is, is taking him. He, and in that taking him, he's covering and he's preserving him for that calling that he has for him. And then, then he says he will make him like a signet ring. The signet ring, uh, well, it, was a, it, it was worn on the finger or on the necklace, or on the necklace, and it represented the authority of the one who it belonged to. Um, it was valuable. Uh, they still make signet rings today. Uh, they, they don't carry the same weight as they did then. Uh, it, typically, uh, the signet ring would be pressed into things like clay or, or wax to seal a document. It made that document authentic. Uh, it gave it the authority of the person uh, 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 who sealed it. It carried the weight, um, maybe the weight that, that our signature might carry today. Some of our signatures. Uh, the, the weight that a, that a signature might carry. Um, the greater the authority of the one bearing the seal, the signet, the greater the authority of the seal. Uh, um, some seals uh, had so much authority, they just were not to be broken. Uh, uh, there was a famous seal that was placed on a grave uh, at, at one time, but that seal was broken. But we'll talk about that later. Um, but the, it's the authority of that signet, that, that ring with the uh, carved-in crest or identification of the person uh, uh, who was wearing it that was pressed. You, you know, you know, signatures... Put it this way, if I gave you a $10,000 check and it had one of the kids' signatures on it, you know, you might not think too much of it, right? But if I gave you the check and you looked and the signature said a big O and then Winfrey behind it, you might go say, well, let me see, let me just take it to the bank 
and see if it'll, if I'll catch, yeah, come on. You would try, for, it was given to you. You didn't find it in the street. Right, right. Uh, uh, the, the signature carries different weight, right? And so the seal uh, carried different weight. When Joseph came into Pharaoh's palace in Egypt after the pit and the prison, and he was given uh, the Pharaoh's signet ring. The Pharaoh gave Joseph his ring. He became the second most powerful man in the world right then. Uh, And then, I mean, when Joseph rode through Egypt, people rode in front of him yelling out, bow the knee, bow the knee, because Joseph was coming. That that power and and that authority he was carrying and and him holding that signet. Um, Of course, though, there was always a higher authority than Pharaoh. And for Joseph, it was the God that he served who had... um, not only put him in that high position, but who had also allowed him to go through the pit and the prison. Uh, but, but to him, the Lord was the highest authority. For Zerubbabel here, being made like the Lord's signet ring was a symbol of elevation and authority being added, being placed on him and on his family. Being made like the Lord's signet ring. Coming, uh, remember Zerubbabel was connected to a famous family. We remember who Zerubbabel was attached to. He came through the genealogy of King David, the royal family. And so uh, coming from the family of David, uh, Zerubbabel's grandfather, Jehoiachin, he was king, but he didn't honor or listen to God. It just sounds like it doesn't match, right? Uh, He was a royal king. He was in the line of David, but he didn't honor or listen to God. And after being king for only three months, he was rejected by God. Uh, Jehoiachin, this is Zerubbabel's grandfather. The Lord, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, then informed him. If He said, go tell him, if he were the valuable signet, on my hand, I would tear him off and give him away to those that were going to take him to capti- uh, into captivity away from Judah. And that's just what the Lord did. He, 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 he said, get him out of here. And he let, he let him be taken into captivity. And he, he said, you know, you, you're going to have no more, um, uh, no, no more authority, no more position. Uh, your family name is not going to carry any more uh, uh, weight or, or glory behind it. Uh, it's almost like he stripped him of everything, of his position, uh, 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 of being a part of King David's legacy. That was an important thing, and we'll, we'll come back. But after stripping Jehoiachin uh, of his lineage, it seemed that the royal line would have been ended right then. So when the word, uh, uh, when the when the Lord speaks here of taking Zerubbabel as a signet, it's the language of restoring the honor and promises of David that seem to be lost. And he seems like it's being restored now back to Zerubbabel, but even beyond that to even to Zerubbabel's descendants, meaning I I thought it was over for my family. I thought after what my granddaddy did... (laughs) My family was going to be no more good, of no more account. I was, I was just happy being the governor of these people. 
But here, the Lord steps in and says, no, I'm going to make you like a signet again. Uh, uh, um, even your descendants are going to have some. As, as the rubble is assigned and encouraged to lead the people in building the Lord's house, uh, he's made to, know, uh, uh, made to know that God has sovereignly chosen him for so much more. Uh, he was content and he was uh, fully invested in doing what he felt God called him to do. He was going to build that house. But God was saying, there's, there's, there's more to this for you, Zerubbabel. Uh, this, message, this message has some good news folded in it. Uh, all the Lord's beautiful promises to David. See, you have to know the Lord's relationship with David, how he loved David and, and, and all that he promised David. But all of it is, is still in effect. It looked like it was cut off, but it's still in effect. The hope of David is still alive in, in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, when, when David des- desired to build a house for the Lord, David was in a house. And he says, how can I be in this house? And the, and the Lord, is, uh, uh, his ark is over there in a tent. I can't lay in this fancy house and his ark is over there. The Lord's stuff was more important to David than David's own stuff. Uh, so, but David desired to build the house for the Lord, and but... Instead of being allowed to build the house, the Lord came back and reminded David that he took him the same way that he's here taking Zerubbabel. And he made him prince. That's the ruler over the people. And and that he's been with them all these years to keep him. Uh, He was not allowed by the Lord to build the house, but was promised something greater by God. The Lord told David that he would make him a house. Uh, David wanted to do something. Here's a a, a blessed moment for you. David had decided he was going to do something for the Lord, but does anybody know that you can't outgive or outdo anything for the Lord? He was going to do something, build something great and grand for the Lord. The Lord said, no, no, I'm going to build you something better. I'm going to, I'm going to make you a house. <laughs> um, uh, that, that was exciting to me. <laughs> um, uh, he's gonna, he says, let me, let me read the scripture. It says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I'm going to make you a legacy. The Lord promised David a royal legacy, always someone from his line on the throne. He used David as the prototype of the perfect king to come. One that, that would come from his family and after a time of final judgment would set up the Lord's perfect kingdom across the whole earth. Isaiah speaks of the one uh, that's promised to come from David's house and establishes uh, this throne of peace forever. When Isaiah saw and and spoke about him, Isaiah said, uh, uh, what can we call him? Isaiah said, let's call him wonderful, uh, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. David had some wonderful promises attached to him. And now... The Lord sovereignly sets up Zerubbabel 
to step into these glorious future plans. That's, that's good. Uh, the, the building project is part of the assignment, but as the Lord's chosen servant, Zerubbabel now represents and stands in the line of the ultimate chosen servant, uh, who is Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. We don't hear, we don't hear about Zerubbabel's accomplishments beyond building this temple. But if we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, or if we opened our Bibles to Luke chapter 3, there in the, in the print, we will find Zerubbabel's name in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Zerubbabel said, I just wanted to lead these people into building this temple for you, Lord. And now you're telling me my name is through, through struggles and resistance and discouragement. Not only would this house of the Lord be built, but there was going to be a greater house that was built. And it was going to be all according to the plan and the will of God. A greater house. Uh, It's a household, if I could borrow from Ephesians uh, uh, chapter chapter 2. It's a household of God that would encompass the church. Uh, It it was built on the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. Uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone of this uh, uh, foundation in, in whom the whole structure being joined together, it's being built, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, We we find ourselves now uh, uh, poured into uh, the end of Zerubbabel's story in Christ Jesus. Uh, Who would have thought this small book in the Old Testament would have anything to do with us today? Uh, But here it is. Uh, This greater house that's being built by those that are in Christ, uh, a dwelling place. The Bible says that we are now the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, each one, us collectively. Haggai... It's important for many reasons, but one is that it lays the foundation for what the Lord had always been planning to do. Build a house where the unclean will be made clean, the unacceptable made acceptable, and all people would be able to enjoy the Lord's presence, worship, and serve him. Consider this. We... we, We shouldn't close Haggai without having heard from God something he desires for us. Um, We learn that the Lord's desire will be accomplished and that by his sovereign grace, he chooses us in Christ to participate in accomplishing his desire. The, The privilege of it, that he has something that he's going to make happen that's going to be complete, but he's chosen to 
Some boy from North Philly. Huh? He, he's chosen somebody from Wilmington. and He's chosen us to take part in his desire. Uh, even, in, even in his sovereignty, he gives us responsibility. We are, we're responsible to participate uh, by, by choosing a few things we learn from Haggai to prioritize him over ourselves. Uh, by exercising repentance when we're on the wrong paths. Um, and by responding in action when we hear his word. That's our part. Um, he, he graciously, sovereignly chooses to include us, and then we make the choice to respond. And then we just watch God work. Does that sound good to anybody? That sounds good to me. I, I thank God for his word. I thank him for um, his challenge. I thank him for his grace. I thank him that he's, although he's sovereign, he could do whatever he wills, he chooses to include us. I mean, that, that, that's, that's good news. <laughs> that's good news. That's good news. I, I just want to read this, uh, this, this last verse of um, uh, Scripture, and it just points back to us knowing that God will get it done. Um, Paul, Paul says, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can be comforted, encouraged, and assured um, of all that you have planned all that you have uh, purposed, all that you have promised, that it'll come to pass. Uh, we, we're grateful that you would choose to use us, Lord. Now help us to not be slow in our responding uh, when the call comes, Father, to see in, in each uh, call and each opportunity, each ministry opportunity, the, 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 the awesome chance, the awesome privilege of serving you and your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that everything that we do, that we put our hands to, Lord, that, that you would take it and then just make it great and greater for your purpose. Have your way in us, Lord. Uh, we pray for increase. We pray, Lord, uh, that you be glorified in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Have your way in your church and in your people. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.